Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, Wow, lots to talk about. You know, yesterday we dealt with Joe Biden live. So I just think it would be uh, repetitive to spend the entire show talking about him again today. Uh, Joe Biden is everything I said he is. He's everything I have posted about him, and I have dealt with him for years. Mr. Producer reminds me this is my 19th year on WABC in the 6 p.m. slot. 19th year. And you should see all the wonderful telegrams I've gotten, Mr. Producer. Flowers, cakes, gifts. Oh, my God. It's almost overwhelming. But I'm here because of you, the audience. WABC and all over the country. I want to thank you very, very much. I want to move the show slightly in a different direction, then we'll get back to these released documents. Former Attorney General Bill Barr has been all over TV, have you noticed? And why? Why? I guess the same reason Nicole Wallace is all over TV. Well, the CNN Republicans are all over TV. He's a never-Trumper now, Bill Barr. And the thing that's strange is, I thought I knew him pretty well, but he's very disgruntled. And he was either resigned or fired, depending on who you listen to, in December. In December. So he was in the administration from the time he was appointed quite some time fact a long time and so if Trump were all the things he says 
he was. Why did he hang on so long? It's hard to understand. And so he's on Fox today. Pretty much he goes unchallenged. And so listen to this. Let's start. Cut eight. Go. I think the, the whole idea of a special master is a bit of a red herring. Uh, the only documents that have been taken, it seems to me, that there's a legitimate uh, concern about keeping away from the government and insulating the government from would be documents relating to his private lawyer communications, him as an individual and his outside lawyers. If there's stuff like that, fine, identify it. it there doesn't appear to be much of it. I'm not sure you need a special master to identify identify it. But what people are missing is that all the other documents taken, even if they claim to be executive privilege, either belong to the government because they're government records, even if they're classified, even if they're uh, subject to executive privilege, they still belong to the government and go to the archives. And any other documents that were seized, like news clippings and other things that were in the boxes containing the classified uh, information, those were seizable under the warrant because they they show the conditions under which the classified information was being held. So I think it's a red herring. Uh, I think it would, you know, at this stage, since they've already gone through the documents, I think it's a waste of time. And I think you couldn't be more off because you're making an awfully big assumption. There could be privileged documents there, attorney-client privilege. There could be attorney work product there. There could be confidential communications that have absolutely nothing to do with attorneys and other private papers, and your assumption is that the government will make the final choice and the only choice. Now, one reason you would have a special master there is to go over what the government did segregate. It's not a red herring. And because the government says it finished, and now they're moving on to an intelligence review, even though they knew this judge was partial to the appointment of a special master uh, doesn't mean everybody else should be in a rush to finish it up either. What is what is the hurry here? But that's a red herring, you see. Protecting somebody's privilege. Attorney-client privilege. Even the judge said yesterday, more correctly than Barr, that when it comes to the issue of executive privilege... When it comes to the issue of executive privilege, we don't really have a Supreme Court decision on point when it comes to a former president. But according to Barr, it doesn't matter because it's government property. But it does matter because even in the Presidential Records Act, the ability to raise the issue of executive privilege is there. So that's not an ownership issue. But there are ownership issues in terms of possession. In terms of possession. And he's saying, you know, and also uh, all this other stuff that's with the classified information goes to how the classified information was treated. Well, if you've already taken the position, Mr. Barr, that the fact of the documents existing at Mar-a-Lago violate the law, then the condition they were treated in and so forth is irrelevant doesn't matter cut nine go 
I think the driver on this from the beginning was, the, was you know, loads of classified information sitting in Mar-a-Lago. People say this was unprecedented. Well, it's also unprecedented for a president to take all this classified information and put him in a country club. All right, let's okay. stop. That's not actually not a country club, but that's okay. The country club is not Mar-a-Lago. But let's put that aside. That's his home also. But it is unprecedented. And no, it's not unprecedented because Hillary Clinton had a crap load of classified information in her home. And your buddy, James Comey, he had classified information in his home. And they also had unclassified information in their home. And there never was a search warrant. Furthermore, as everybody listening to this show knows, and Bill Barr knows too, Hillary Clinton and her team did obstruct justice by the destruction of materials. As did, in my view, Jim Comey. Now, so context is important, and they're not former presidents. So if, in fact, this is why the FBI decided to act, Mr. Barr, then why didn't the FBI actually do something? There wasn't a search warrant issued to search Hillary Clinton's home in Chappaqua, or James Comey's home, I guess, in McLean, Virginia, or wherever the hell he lived. Go ahead. And how, how long is the government going to uh, try to get that back? You know, they jawboned for a year. They were deceived on the voluntary. I don't know. They jawboned with Nixon for years and years. Oh, they were deceived. Go ahead. Actions taken. Uh, they then went and got a subpoena. They were deceived on that, uh, they feel. And the, record, the facts are starting to show that they were being jerked around. And, and so how long, you know, how long do they wait? Well, longer than this. And you have no idea, when that attorney signed that certification, first of all, that attorney did not certify to personal knowledge. Remember that, Mr. Producer? I read the first sentence. But that's a fine point for the attorney anyway. But secondly, why do you assume that that was intentional? You yourself just said that they had documents, you know, mixed in with other stuff and so forth. And maybe that's why they needed more time. They don't have the staff of the Department of Justice and the FBI. But again, it's your assumption that something crooked was done here, that they're being jerked around. It's called a negotiation. Cut 10, go. Is there any legitimate reason for those materials to be in the president, former president's possession? Uh, no, I, I can't think of a, of a legitimate reason why they, they should have been, could be taken out of the uh, government, away from the government, if they're classified. I frankly am skeptical of this claim that I declassified everything, you know, because frankly, I think it's highly improbable. Uh, and second, if in fact he sort of stood over uh, scores of boxes, not really knowing what was in them, and said, I hereby declassify everything in here, that would be such an abuse uh, and, uh, that, uh, and show such recklessness that it's almost worse than taking the document. You see, you see, he is, he is, he's trying to get even. He's become unhinged and obsessive. And so I have a question for uh, Attorney General Barr, who listens to this program from time to time, and you're free to call in, sir. 
When you were Attorney General of the United States, you were Attorney General twice, but let's go for the second time. When you were Attorney General of the United States under Donald Trump, did you ever take classified information and read it while you were in your car, while you were being chauffeured from here to there? Did you? That's a violation of the Espionage Act. Did you ever take home classified information just to review it, to read it, say overnight, maybe over lunch, over the weekend, because you wanted to bone up on whatever was being provided? Did you ever do that? That's a violation of the Espionage Act. That's not a secured place, and you know it. If you were to testify under oath, perhaps in front of a grand jury, about whether you had ever done that, Mr. Barr, what would you testify? And what about your drivers and your security detail and your staff and others? If they were put under oath and forced to testify in front of a federal grand jury, would any of them ever say they saw you with classified information outside a government Uh, determined, safe place? What would they say? Doesn't matter if there's tons of classified documents. It could be one page. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's classified documents and there's classified documents. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying the amount isn't really the issue. The substance is the issue, as far as I'm concerned. So for Bill Barr, the special masters are red herring. That Trump caused all this because of all the documents he took. That he was jerking around the FBI. He didn't need to negotiate anymore. And there's absolutely no reason why he had these materials at Bar Largo. And Bill Barr doesn't even know if some of these things were packed up by the GSA or somebody else. He doesn't have any idea. None of us do. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so you'll see him more and more. John Ratcliffe, former director of national intelligence, he was on Fox News, and here's what he had to say. Cut 11, go. You you presided over a lot of cases. I was a former federal prosecutor, United States attorney. Let me tell you what this is about. Uh, Good prosecutors with good cases play it straight. They don't need to play games. They don't need to shop for judges. They don't need to leak uh, intelligence that may or may not exist. And, you know, in this case, uh, this tells you that the government didn't find what they were looking for. There weren't nuclear secrets in Melania Trump's underwear drawer. And they're trying to justify what they've done. Uh, They're not playing it straight uh, before the American people. And, you know, I think that that's going to I think that that's going to play out. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, Bill? They didn't find what they were looking for. They didn't find what they were looking for. More when I return. I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not, about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty. 
presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, The Meaning and History of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17, I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. The Presidential Records Act has no enforcement mechanism. It really took a close look at it in the legislative history, as a matter of fact, and it has no, certainly no tool to prosecute anybody. It's not a criminal statute. Why is that, Bill Barr? Why is that? Why is that? It's for obvious reasons. It not only raises constitutional issues, this thing is to be negotiated. And, and, I, and I think about this in a broader context, America. We've got a president of the United States now who is going to spend up to a trillion dollars on welfare for the wealthiest, on student loans that they took out, and he has no legal basis to do it. That seems like a big deal to me. We have a border that's wide open where the immigration laws are not being enforced. And 110,000 people died last year from the fentanyl coming across that border produced by the drug cartels in communist China. 110,000. Twice as many people, almost, as died in the Vietnam War. We've got crime through the roof. Murder rates that are unbelievable. Drugs. We have parents targeted by the Department of Justice and the FBI. And when you step back, Bill Barr, and you look at this, and when you step back and you think to yourself, what the hell is going on here? We're dealing with documents? Documents? I'll mark their class. I know what they are. I know what they are. And the idea that we, well, it's a, you know, it's a clubhouse, you know, cop club. There's secret service agents there, ladies and gentlemen. Try getting into Mar-a-Lago without permission. So this is really, really completely blown out of proportion. It is. He's being treated worse than Hillary Clinton and James Comey. I want these former federal officials to have to testify somehow under oath that they never took classified information home to review over the weekend or in their cars. I got to hear this. I'll be right back. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not, about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty, presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, The Meaning and History of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17th, 
I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. When Mark Levin was a kid, his teachers didn't like his snide sense of humor. Today, they still don't like it. Call Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. I want to underscore something here. The Presidential Production Act is not a criminal statute. It does not have criminal penalties. And yet the Department of Justice and the FBI are trying to turn it into a criminal statute. So they move to obstruction, they move to the Espionage Act, that's sort of what they're trying to do. And it's a constant moving ball. You could hear it with Bill Barr, you can hear it with some of the other legal analysts, even on my favorite network, Fox, you definitely hear it on the other networks, which is we go from the Espionage Act to the Presidential Records Act, to obstruction. First they were building an espionage act case, then they're building an obstruction case, even though the Presidential Production Act is not a criminal statute. You see, there are efforts here to go way out of their way to try and take down a potential future Republican candidate because they fear him. And as I said, when you really step back and look at this, they don't like being screwed around with. Kind of a jackass comment is that? Oh, I'm sorry. The Democrats are hiring 87,000 more IRS agents. That's okay. They're undermining the Border Patrol and the ICE. That's okay. No big deal. They have their committee, the January 6th committee that has... No, none whatsoever, appearance of any integrity, in terms of process. And then you have these massive violations of federal law and the Constitution when it comes to separation of powers. You have the homes of Supreme Court justices, still subjected to campaigns of threats and noise at night in violation of federal law, not a single person prosecuted, and there is actually a criminal law. The Presidential Records, the Presidential Records Act is not a criminal law. All this crap that they're talking about, taking it completely out of context, driving it up the pole like, this is it, ladies and gentlemen, oh, we got to get this, this is it. They have no evidence of destruction. They don't even make any claim We learn later that when they talk about documents being moved, we think they're talking about three classified documents in President Trump's drawer. Well, it's not safe there. I don't know. Have you ever been in his office at Mar-a-Lago? He's protected by Secret Service, for God's sakes. I'm just making a point. This is totally blown out of proportion. Completely blown out of proportion. All of it. And for a reason. Now, if Congress wants to change the Presidential Records Act with criminal penalties and all, then Congress gets to do that. Not the Attorney General, not the FBI Director, and not the U.S. Attorney. And you're going to have a hell of a tough case on obstruction, which Barr should have mentioned, when in fact you had all this back and forth between attorneys. 
and access to the boxes under a prior subpoena. That's the best they can do as certification signed by an attorney where the attorney himself or herself doesn't even swear based on their own first-hand knowledge? That's it? No, they obstructed the Presidential Records Act. So you're going to bring in another statute to try and criminalize this? Unbelievable. Really pathetic. And to see Bill Barr lowering himself. It's too bad. I really used to like him. I really did. But it's really up to the last week or two. His book kind of turned me off. And then the way he testified, not to the truth of his testimony, but he was very excited and almost celebratory in the way the clip show him testifying in front of this January 6th committee. Absolutely tell the truth. Fine. But you seem to love it. And of course we know, or at least I do, you don't know, that he and Mike Ludig, former federal judge Mike Ludig, are best buddies. Look, Mike Ludig and I used to be best buddies. When I was in law school, I, I was an intern for Chief Justice Warren Berger, and Mike Ludig was a clerk for Chief Justice Warren Berger at the same time. He was a clerk two years in a row. They were like father and son. And I was a huge fan of Mike Ludic. And I believe what Ludic and Barr knew each other from the George H.W. Bush days, that one worked for the other, I think. I think Barr hired Ludic, something to that effect. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So their goal now is to stop Trump from running, getting nominated, and getting elected again. That's their goal. That's their goal. That's not my goal. My goal is there needs to be integrity in this process. And there's not. Look here. This January 6th committee... They demand people turn over their emails. They demand people turn over their texts. They demand they give testimony with no strings attached. And they leak, just as the FBI's been leaking against Trump. And here it is. It's all over the headlines again. They're going after Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice, urged lawmakers to overturn Trump election laws in Wisconsin, report says. Now, I'm sure Bill Barr and Mike Ludig understand that a president isn't a president until Congress meets and votes on accepting or not accepting the electors. You're not president because you win the popular vote in a state here or there. Yep, it's it's not how the Electoral College works, but that's beside the point. The media keep doing this. The word insurrection... The word that Ginny Thomas wanted to overturn a presidential election. Virginia Ginny Thomas, they write. CNBC, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. By the way, who's the husband of Sotomayor? Does she even have one? Do we even know? I don't know. Do you know? Who was the wife of Breyer? Does anybody know? I don't know. Is he married? How about Kagan? No idea. And yet we know all about Ginny Thomas. Why? 
because she's an independent woman and a conservative activist, and you're not allowed to do that. If you're an independent woman and a radical left-wing activist, that's okay. Well, anyway, she emailed Wisconsin, Wisconsin legislators in November 2020 and asked them to effectively reverse then-President Donald Trump's election loss to Joe Biden in the state. Now, that's not a quote. That's how Dan Manga decides to write it. It was already known that the conservative activist Ginny Thomas had contacted legislators in Arizona with a similar request at the same time seeking to undo Biden's victory there. Both states sent Biden electors to the Electoral College as he won the popular vote in both states. The Electoral College then named him the winner of the 2020 vote. And so they say, Washington Post first reported Thursday that she wrote two Republican legislators in Wisconsin. So they're leaking to the Washington Post. State Senator Kathy Brunier and State Representative Gary Toshin on November 9, 2020, quote, at virtually the same time the Arizona lawmakers received a verbatim copy of the message from Thomas, unquote. Thomas sent the emails days after Trump refused to concede the election to Biden, vowing, we'll be going to the Supreme Court. The subject lines of her message read, please do your constitutional duty. And you know what I say when I read this? So what? She's a citizen. She wrote them. So what? Documented, documented, obtained the emails. That's how they wrote it. Through a request under Wisconsin's public records law, the group posted a copy of the emails online later Thursday. The report comes more than a month after Liz Cheney said the select committee investigating the pro-Trump riot at the U.S. Capitol was considering issue a subpoena to Ginny Thomas. The pro-Trump riot. They have no DNA, no fingerprints, nothing that Trump caused this riot in any way. They make insinuations, they make allegations, they give opinions. They've been at this. I would say, Bill Barr, they've been screwing around with this for now, what, two years? Screwing around with it. They have nothing. And it's been a one-way street. There hasn't even been any ability for another side to object to what they're doing. A lawyer for Tom Thomas and a spokeswoman for the Supreme Court did not immediately respond to requests for comments. Why should they? Here's the, here's the nub of the matter. Thomas's advocacy for conservative causes while her husband serves on the high court has generated controversy in recent years. No, it hasn't. It's phony, fake. It's not controversial. She's an independent woman. And so the entire paradigm here, the overturning of an election, obstruction, seditious conspiracy, insurrection, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. While the Democrats are trying to destroy our electoral system, while the Democrats are trying to destroy 
separation of powers and the independence of the Supreme Court. While the Democrats are, are destroying even any notion of citizenship with an open, wide open border. While the Democrats have unleashed criminals in our streets because they refuse to support the cops. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You have to fear Ginny Thomas. Ginny Thomas. Now, they have an advantage here, they do on the radical left. They have her emails and texts and so forth. When are we going to see the emails and texts of Adam Schiff? Hmm? Of Raskin? Of Benny Hill Thompson? Of Pelosi? Of Hoyer? Of Schumer? Wouldn't you love to see those? What do they say? Dizzy Lizzie Cheney. Adam Headcase Kingsinger. What about those? What do they say? Hmm? I don't know. But we ought to be able to see them, don't you think? Well, they don't apply the FOIA Act to the House of Representatives or the Senate. They've exempted themselves. But that said, when the Republicans take over, they damn well better pursue this. So the American people can see exactly what's taking place here. Where the real insurrection is. The real insurrection. But don't worry. Bill Barr's going to be out there telling you that Donald Trump, his violation of the Presidential Records Act, my God, they have him dead to rights. It's the greatest threat this country faces. And it's good that the FBI did what they did. And it's good that we had a search warrant. And it's good that he's going to be indicted. Yes, this is all to the good. God, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, back in the good old days, we Americans argued about which policies to pursue to improve the country we love. Too often today, we find ourselves arguing about whether our country is great or not, about whether we should love America or be ashamed of it. The reason for this is simple. For too many years, too many of our schools have been neglecting to teach young Americans about America's great heritage of liberty, presenting them instead with dishonest narratives of America as fundamentally unjust and racist. Hillsdale College is weighing in for America by offering free online courses such as The Great American Story, A Land of Hope, and Constitution 101, the meaning and history of the Constitution. As we get closer to Constitution Day, September 17, I encourage all of you to enroll in one of these wonderful free courses from Hillsdale. Begin your free Hillsdale College course today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's Levin, L-E-V-I-N, for Hillsdale.com. I want to be clear with you, my beloved audience, so there's no confusion. I don't care about all the miscreants and malcontents with their websites. You, I care about. The attack on the Capitol building on January 6th. Those who were violent, who broke in, who attacked the cops, you will never find me defending them. Ever. Ever. Period. Not then, not now, not between then and now. Period. What you find me defending are the people who didn't 
commit acts of violence, who are waved into the building, who are on the property, that is the grass outside, or who roamed in, didn't know what was going on, and then left. Having the book thrown at them, that's what I speak out against. Period. People have disagreements over this 2020 election, what took place in this state or that state and so forth and so on. You've not heard me talk about machines. You've not heard me talk about ballots. What you've heard me talk about is efforts by the Democrat Party. Not to strengthen our voting system and the sanctity of our voting system, but to weaken it in order to favor their candidates and their party. That's why they brought over 300 lawsuits in these various states. That's why they're partisan state courts and partisan governors change the laws in violation of Article 2 of the Constitution, which professors on the hard left are now saying doesn't mean what it means. So my problem with Bill Barr and people like him isn't that they refuse to challenge this or challenge that or challenge this. or ch- That's not my problem. My problem is today. When we as a nation are truly facing tyranny by the Democrat Party and that the never-Trumpers have thrown in with the Democrat Party because of their own passions and obsessions and unhinged emotions. That this country, in order to remain free and prosperous and a republic, needs to be protected from them and needs to be protected from their Department of Justice and needs to be protected from their FBI and needs to be protected from their CIA. Those words would never have crossed my lips but for the last five years. And I see what they did to parents in Loudoun County. And I see how they sued state legislatures for trying to fix their voting systems. And I heard what Joe Biden had to say last night. And I know they want to destroy the filibuster. And I know that they threaten those Supreme Court justices. And on and on and on. Just because they wear ties and jackets. And have $150 hairdos and haircuts. Doesn't mean they're out. They're not out to destroy this country. That's what I resent. With Barr and the others. That they're not joining the fight to save this country. Instead, they're piling on. That's my problem. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 
Joe Biden yesterday stood near where our great founder stood, where our great framer stood, the Declaration and the Constitution. He also stood where Abraham Lincoln once stood. And Joe Biden gave a speech that Joe Stalin would have been proud of. That Vladimir Lenin would have been proud of. That Fidel Castro would have been proud of that Hugo Chavez would have been proud of. His goal is to dehumanize people who disagree with him, to try and push for one-party rule for now and forevermore, to intimidate people, to threaten people. And in his less than two years in office, he has used the Federal Bureau of Investigation and soon to be the Internal Revenue Service He's used executive orders, rejected statutes, rejected the Constitution like no president in modern history, save perhaps Barack Obama. Now, I think we can all agree that the greatest war America ever fought was the Civil War. The most recent calculation of casualties is well over the 660,000 that were originally thought to be the death toll. It's over 700,000 in a nation with a population of about 24 million people. Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address is considered his greatest speech. It's also the shortest inaugural address since Washington's first inaugural address. I'm going to read you something from 2014. And the goal here is to put things into context. This is a preface to a book my father wrote, Malice Toward None, Lincoln's second inaugural address. And he wrote it for young people but it's really for all of us. From 2014, last year on my visit to Florida to see my parents, Jack and Norma, I found my father spending a goodly amount of time working at his artist's easel. It's actually more like a well-worn easel desk. It's located toward the back of their modest but comfortable home in a tranquil area where the sun shines most of the day and a light breeze can usually be felt through the screened porch. This is where my father has conceived and designed much of his artwork and books during his later years, including his beautiful editions, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and George Washington, The Crossing. It's also where he painted his magnificent portrait of President Ronald Reagan. As my father was leaning over his easel desk surrounded by history books and with magazines and photographs at hand, Maneuvering his exacto knife across the desk with the exactitude of a surgeon, I asked him, Dad, what are you working on? He said, my next book. I walked away where he was sitting and leaned over his shoulder. As he was diligently cutting and arranging lettering under a dramatic Civil War era graphic, he began talking about the historical importance and modern-day relevance of Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address. 
and he explained that it was a seminal address intended to foster the national healing process and preach reconciliation as the devastation of America's most costly war was coming to an end. He reminded me that the celebrated phrase, with malice toward none, with charity for all, was delivered by Lincoln at that speech. And Lincoln relied heavily on references to and inferences from faith and the Bible. And as my father explains and illustrates in his book, in myriad ways, Lincoln's second inaugural address is considered his finest speech. Lincoln was enormously proud of it, although during the short time he remained alive after his second swearing in, he wondered how it would be accepted over the ages. Just as the nation had tired of war, it had taken a heavy toll on Lincoln as well. After the address was delivered and Lincoln made his way back to the White House, Walt Whitman, who observed the inauguration as one among the multitudes who crowded into Washington that day, reported the following. I saw Lincoln on his return at 3 o'clock after the performance was over. He was in his plain two-horse baroche and looked very much worn and tired. The lines, indeed, of vast responsibilities, intricate questions, and demands of life and death cut deeper than ever upon his dark brown face. Yet all the old goodness, tenderness, sadness, and canny shrewdness underneath the furrows. I never see that man without feeling that he is one to become personally attached to for his combination of purest, hardiest, tenderness, and native, western, even rudest forms of manliness. By his side sat his little boy of ten years, There were no soldiers, only a lot of civilians on horseback with huge yellow scarves over their shoulders riding around the carriage. Not until April 26, 1865, about seven weeks after Lincoln's March 4, 1865 Second Inaugural Address, did the last of the Confederate forces finally surrender. The scale of the casualties and the scope of the destruction were inconceivable. My father reminds me that nearly 750,000 died during the Civil War, the equivalent of about 7 million today. It's no accident that my father, a vigorous, nearly 90-year-old patriot, born only 60 years after the end of the Civil War, and a young volunteer when World War II broke out, is dedicated to highlighting some of the America's most significant historical events and bringing them to life through his knowledge and of the country's heritage and his creative artistic talents. As he mentioned to me several years ago, despite constant efforts to demean the remarkable qualities of our nation or ignore them altogether, his purpose in authoring his book series is to remind his fellow citizens, especially young people, how blessed we are to live in such a fantastic place. He's often said that this country is built on the unparalleled sacrifices, wisdom, courage, and spirit of the extraordinary men and women who came before us, both the prominent and the nameless. It is a profoundly distinctive legacy we must commemorate and preserve by passing it on to our children and our grandchildren, just as it was passed on to us by our ancestors. As I say, this is 2014. Malice Toward None, Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address is the latest volume, 
Why did he choose this subject? As he explained to me, America faces many difficult and complicated challenges, both at home and abroad. Some days it may seem like the future is bleak or even hopeless. Now's a good time to remember that the nation's past is one of unthinkable and perilous trials, all of which we have surmounted. We are a people defined by amazing triumphs. No speech and perhaps no occasion better exemplifies this truth, he said, than Lincoln's second inaugural address. My father never attempts or even presumes to improve upon the majestic words of a great statesman like Lincoln. Such a pursuit would be an egoist folly. Instead, after the passing of 150 years, he sets the speech and surrounding events into a masterful display, visual display of period photographs and drawings. And I want to add this. Finally, there's no better place and time to mention my mother, Norma, about whom I am often asked. After all, she has always been the most loving and influential force behind the four men in our family. It's impossible to think of my father without thinking of my mother. My parents had been married for more than 63 years and had been inseparable since they first met. Real life partners. They've always worked together and have never traveled apart. And alongside my father, my mother has worked very hard throughout her life, from starting and running a private nursery school and day camp and subsequently a small retail shop in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. Now, no one's been more supportive of my father's endeavors than my mother. Now, the foreword to the book. How much time do I have, Rich? In November 1864, Abraham Lincoln won a resounding electoral victory over Democrat George McClellan, whom he had removed a few years earlier as Major General of the Union Army. Imagine that, a president removing a general. Although McClellan was popular with the troops, Lincoln lost trust in McClellan due to his indecisiveness and at times defiance. Lincoln's re-election, initially in some doubt, was improved significantly by a number of Union battlefield victories in the late summer of 1864 especially the Battle of Atlanta and the March to the Sea led by Major General William Tecumseh Sherman. On March 4, 1865, as its second inaugural, and on a day that began with miserable weather and heavy rain, Lincoln gave what many, including Lincoln himself, consider his greatest speech. Yes, even more profound than the Gettysburg Address. It was a speech delivered as the Civil War seemed to be coming to a close with important victories in South and North Carolina as well as Virginia, among other places. Indeed, 36 days later, Confederate General Robert E. Lee would surrender at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9, 1865. And tragically, 41 days after his second inauguration, Lincoln would be assassinated by John Wilkes Booth on April 14, 1865. Booth, along with other conspirators, was among the onlookers in the crowd that inauguration day. Also present and listening attentively to Lincoln's speech was Frederick Douglass. The former slave was a courageous and outspoken leader of the abolitionist movement. Douglass was originally skeptical of Lincoln's commitment to ending slavery, but after their meetings and Lincoln's issuance of the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863, 
among other things, Douglas became an admirer. Douglas also attended the inaugural reception at the White House that evening, but was initially prevented from entering the East Room by policemen. He pushed his way past him and was quickly noticed by Lincoln. And as Douglas himself recounted, Lincoln called out, Here comes my friend Douglas. And Lincoln shook Douglas's hand and said, Douglas, I saw you in the crowd today listening to my inaugural speech. There's no man's opinion that I value more than yours. What do you think of it? Douglas replied, Mr. Lincoln, it was a sacred effort. It was the last time Frederick Douglass would see Abraham Lincoln. And a sacred effort it was. On so many levels, Lincoln's second inaugural address is among the most impressive of all speeches delivered by history's great statesmen. Although a mere 703 words and seven minutes in duration, not much longer than the 270-word Gettysburg Address and the second shortest inaugural speech of any president bar George Washington II, Lincoln could have claimed vindication or gloated about the Union's all but certain triumph, as so many political demagogues would have. In fact, the speech is devoid of the kind of endless personal references to self familiar in the prose of modern presidents. Nor did Lincoln set forth a long list of specific tasks confronting the nation and attempt to rally the people to their discharge as many had expected. Instead, as at Gettysburg, Lincoln delivered the ideal speech. A speech where every word was carefully chosen, every sentence carefully structured, was a tour de force, not only in its precision, excuse me, precision, but more important for its message of tolerance and reconciliations. Its purpose was to address war-weary Americans and lay the foundation for peace. Lincoln knew well that every corner of the country had been impacted by the war. The casualties were unimaginable, hundreds of thousands dead. Post-war reconstruction would be an incredibly difficult and complex task, involving the restoration of the economy, rebuilding cities and towns, assimilating regions, promoting racial harmony, caring for the maimed and the widows, legal and constitutional challenges, and much more. Although Lincoln would not live to lead this reconstruction, the spirit and direction of his intentions could not have been clear. They were best exemplified by these magnificent and most memorable words, with malice toward none, with charity for all. During the course of the war, Lincoln was known to pray frequently, seeking strength from God in his hand and guidance. Some noted, including Douglas, that Lincoln's speech seemed fashioned after a sermon. In fact, nearly half the speech invokes references to God or Scripture. Lincoln spoke of, quote, the woe due to those by whom the offense of slavery came, unquote. He observed that, quote, both northerners and southerners read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each evokes his aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered. Lincoln proclaimed that American slavery was a blight that God now wills to remove. And despite the toll in lives and treasure, quote, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, unquote. There was ever any doubt that the Civil War was fought not only to maintain the Union, but in the end, to drive the horror of slavery from the land there was no more. It is reported by numerous reliable observers that when Lincoln began his second inaugural address, the stormy weather clouds of that day gave way to the light of a shining sun. It's an image that underscores Lincoln's exceptionality. He was not only an extraordinary president, but a remarkable man whose wisdom will continue to span generations. That's the preface written by my father. Now when we come back, what was this great speech that took seven minutes and was only 703 words? 
And how do we compare this to Joe Biden and his speech? Some of his supporters are even saying it was Lincoln-esque. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's an Another something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for month one, and Pure Talk will give you month two for free. So do this. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And check out and get your second month free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast to switch to my company, Pure Talk. This is a very, very short segment, just a couple of minutes. And even though the second inaugural address by Lincoln is only seven minutes in length, actually can be shorter than that, I can't get it done in two minutes. But I can get it done in about five minutes, and so we will wait until after the bottom of the hour. But the reason I'm doing this is context. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, president in American history... A civil war is winding down. Both sides at each other's throat. The amount of carnage, almost unspeakable. And Lincoln doesn't get up there and start pounding away at the South, the Confederacy, talking about, you know, half the country... 40% of the country, what they've taken us through, what they've done to us. He doesn't talk about Confederacy Democrats or slave Democrats or anything of the sort. God knows he could have. There's a lot of reason to be angry. But no... Lincoln wanted the country to survive. You get my point, America? You get my point? Media, Bill Barr, all the rest? It wasn't about evening scores. He wasn't obsessed over any individual. He saw the dangers that the nation faced. And I will read this to you. It's not long when we return. In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's an 
another something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for month one, and Pure Talk will give you month two for free. So do this. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And check out and get your second month free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast to switch to my company, Pure Talk. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. You know, since I've been doing this, really for two decades now, I've tried to make this show unique. It kind of, uh, obviously projects my personality, my interests, and so forth, and I hope you have the same kind of interests. I think you do, or we wouldn't have been here this long. And so I intermix what's going on in the country to provide a historical context. So that speech last night, we listened to it live, and I had to stop it. It was just too much demagoguery, and it was enough was enough. But I want you to listen to this. This speech delivered Lincoln's second inaugural address. He says, fellow countrymen, at this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there's less occasion for an extended address than there was at the first. Then a statement somewhat in detail of a course to be pursued seemed fitting and proper. Now, at the expiration of four years, during which public declarations have been constantly called forth on every point and phase of the great contest, which still absorbs the attention and engrosses the energies of the nation, little that is now could be presented. Little that is new could be presented. The progress of our arms, upon which all else chiefly depends, is as well known to the public as to myself, and it is, I trust, reasonably satisfactory and encouraging to all. With high hope for the future, no prediction in regard to it is ventured. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it. All sought to avert it. While the inaugural address was being delivered from this place, devoted together, altogether, to saving the Union without war, Insurgent agents were in the city seeking to destroy it without war, seeking to dissolve the Union and divide effects by negotiation. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came. One-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, not distributed generally over the Union, but localized in the southern part of it. These slaves constituted a peculiar and powerful interest. All knew that this interest was somehow the cause of the war. To strengthen, perpetuate, and extend this interest was the object for which the insurgents would rend the Union even by war. Well, the government claimed no right to do more than to restrict the territorial enlargement of it. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude of the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. 
Each looked for an easier triumph. As a result, less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible, pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. How do you like that? The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. He's quoting the Bible, of course. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which have continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly we do hope, fervently we do pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. And if God wills that it continue, until all the wealth piled by the bondsmen 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword, as was said 3,000 years ago, so still must it be said that judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, the firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. The Civil War was still going on, but it was coming towards a close. And that's the speech Abraham Lincoln gave. Great man whose speech will be remembered forever. Now, you didn't hear that speech last night. The Democrat Party, which supported the Confederacy back then, is a different animal today. Obviously, it doesn't support what it supported early on. But it does support a, an alien ideology, a wretched ideology. In one form or another, to one degree or another. Joe Biden was screaming in the mic, waving his fists, claiming that he supported the Constitution. How so? When? Where? Michael Beschlosch has diminished himself and degraded himself forever as a so-called presidential historian. He was on MSNBC yesterday. He said this, cut five, go. You know, here's a case. Uh, we, what we talked about were, was, for, just as you just mentioned, Chris, 1860. And someone who's an historian like you, you know all this. 1860, this country was in big jeopardy, was splitting apart, house divided. 
slavery or non-slavery. And Lincoln cast the election of 1860 by saying, the House can't stand half slave or half free, we've got to choose. 1940, when Franklin Roosevelt was running for a third term, just as you just mentioned, Roosevelt didn't say the paramount issue this year is the minimum wage, although that was pretty important, or hmm. you know whether uh, Texans get an oil depletion allowance or something like this. He said, look, these are all important, but what is really at stake at this moment is whether our children are going to get to live in an American democracy. And so, and so this joke of a so-called presidential historian compares Biden to Lincoln and Roosevelt during World War II. Really quite unbelievable. Well, I don't remember Abraham Lincoln trashing half the country. I read to you what he said. I don't remember FDR, who in many ways was very loathsome, doing that either. Do you? And trashing half the country for what? For what? Did Lincoln mention McClellan once? The candidate who he defeated? Not once. Did he mention the Democrat Party once? Not once. Did he mention the name of the president of the Confederacy once? Not once. Never. Even apart from the speeches, Joe Biden has done grave damage to this country. Now, what Beshlosh won't tell you is none of these men, Lincoln or FDR, were perfect because there's no such thing. And I'm sure if there were a Bill Barr back then or some of the legal analysts on cable news, they would tell you that Abraham Lincoln violated the Constitution when he suspended habeas corpus. He should be impeached. Abraham Lincoln and his Secretary of War closed 200 newspapers that were critical of the Union. I think they would say that violates the First Amendment and Abraham Lincoln should be impeached. That's why I don't listen to legal analysts or people with grudges or who are disgruntled. you got to take a bigger look at the situation. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In a world full of takers, Pure Talk wants to give you something. That's right. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they're takers. They take too much of your money every month for way more data than you're ever going to need. Pure Talk, which is my cell company, gives you choices. Only pay for the data you need. That's how the average family saves over 75 bucks every single month. With Pure Talk, it's easy to find the right plan for you and your family. Unlimited talk, text, and choose from data plans from 2 gigs per month to unlimited with a mobile hotspot. All on America's most reliable 5G network. And here's an Another something else Pure Talk is going to give you. This month, when you switch to Pure Talk, you pay for month one, and Pure Talk will give you month two for free. So do this. Just go to puretalk.com, choose your plan, then enter promo code LEVINPODCAST. That's L-E-V-I-N PODCAST. 
and check out and get your second month free. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast to switch to my company, Pure Talk. That voting system they sent up at Alaska at the push of Lisa Murkowski, 60% of the voters in that House race voted for Republicans. And the Democrat won. 60% of Republicans voted. Excuse me, 60% of the voters voted for Republicans, and the Democrat won because of the system they set up in Alaska to try and stop Sarah Palin and try and promote Lisa Murkowski in the Senate race. That's what these fraud rhinos do to this country. Notice they're not talking about inflation or gas prices. Not talking about Putin's responsible for this or that. This is a horrid president. A horrid radical left administration. With thousands of these these counter-revolutionaries throughout our government. And the first thing they want to do is control speech. This is from Epic Times by Zachary Stieber. Over 50 officials in President Biden's administration across a dozen agencies have been involved with efforts to pursue big tech companies to crack down on alleged misinformation, according to documents released two days ago. Senior officials in the U.S. government, including White House lawyer Dana Remus, Deputy Assistant to the President Rob Flaherty, one-time White House senior COVID-19 advisor Andy Slavitt, have been in touch with one or more major social media companies to try and get the companies to tighten rules on allegedly false and misleading information and take action against users who violate the rules the documents show. In July 2021, for example, after Biden said Facebook was killing people by not combating misinformation effectively, an executive reached out to Surgeon General Vivek Murphy, a Biden appointee, to say that government and meta, that is, Facebook teams, met after remarks to better understand the scope of what the White House expects from us on misinformation going forward. That's a quote. The same executive later wrote to Murthy saying, quote, I want to make sure you saw the steps we took just this past week to adjust policies on what we are removing with respect to misinformation, as well as steps taken to further address the disinfo dozen including removing pages linked to the group. Those were doctors. The White House publicly pressured social media companies to take action against a group officials dubbed the Disinformation Dozen, which a nonprofit claimed were producing the bulk of anti-vaccine misinformation on the platforms. Rob Flaherty, director of digital strategy for the White House, told Slavin and others in April 2021 that White House staff would be briefed by Twitter on vaccine misinfo, quote-unquote, with a meeting including, quote, ways the White House and our COVID experts can partner in product work, according to one of the messages. In another exchange, the Department of Treasury official was on mis dis information told Facebook workers the Deputy Treasury Secretary wanted to talk about, quote, potential influence operations, unquote. Hear that, Bill Barr? Does that concern you, sir? In a text in February 2021, meanwhile, U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Director Jen Easterly wrote to another agency official that she was, quote, trying to get us in a place 
where Fed can work with platforms to better understand the miss and diss trends so relevant agencies can try to pre-bunk and debunk as useful. So this is a government operation working with these platforms to shut down anyone who had other information, including experts and scientists and medical people. The documents were part of a preliminary production in a lawsuit levied against the government by the Attorneys General of Missouri and Louisiana, later joined by experts maligned by federal officials. And then, of course, we have the FBI that spoke to Facebook about Hunter Biden and so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I have no stomach anymore for what Barr's doing, for what Bolton's doing, for what all these guys are doing and all the ladies are doing. They may feel good about themselves. They may get a pat on the head. But we are truly facing tyranny now. Right now, with this government. It's not a joke. It's a reality. I'll be right back. In this economy, we all need as much help as we can get. If you own a business, you're looking for ways to survive. Innovation refunds can help. Small business owners, please listen up. You could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee. Now, this isn't a loan. There's no payback. It's a refund of your taxes. Go to GetRefunds.com. Their tax attorneys are highly trained in this little-known payroll tax refund program and have already returned $1 billion to businesses, and they can help you, too. Go to GetRefunds.com. They do all the work with no charge up front. They simply charge a percentage of the cash that they get for you. Go to GetRefunds.com, click on Qualify Me, and answer a few questions. It's that simple. Now, this payroll tax refund is only available for a very limited amount of time, so check it out right away. GetRefunds.com. That's GetRefunds.com. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381. Anyway, uh, this January 6th committee... Wants to talk to Newt Gingrich now. And Ginny Thomas. What a committee. They're going to get to the bottom of everything, don't you think, ladies and gentlemen? Oh, yes. 72% of America's top medical schools use racial politics to eliminate applicants. Did you know this? According to the review, 72% of the nation's top 50 schools and 80% of the top 10 ask, quote, probing questions to elicit responses from the applicant about his or her views on diversity, equity, and inclusion topics. What is your thought about heart disease? Well, I believe in equity. The Duke University School of Medicine, ranked number six in the country, boasts that it has been nationally recognized, I quote, for its commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion. In an essay prompt for applicants to the school admissions asks, potential sources of health inequities include race, gender, education, income, disability, geographic location, and sexual orientation. Boy, what a country. 
Moments to Movement, M2M, is Duke's collective stand against systemic racism and injustice. This is in the question. The name signifies going beyond passive moments of reflection and becoming more active as we build to make lasting change for our patients, their loved ones, and each other. Describe your understanding of race and its relationship to inequities in health and health care. The number 14th ranked school, University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine, prompts applicants to answer the following. Ah, oh, hell, where did I put it? Yep, 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 yep. Oh, well. Well, I can't find it. What did I do with this, Mr. Producer? Live and screwed up. But you get the point. Breitbart News previously reported the Association of American Medical Colleges released new standards for teaching medicine that require students to achieve competencies in, and I quote, white privilege, anti-colonialism, and race as a social construct among the race essentialist ideas. Quote, since the founding of the United States, there have been systemic health and health care inequities grounded in racism, sexism, homophobia, classism, and other forms of discrimination that still permeate our current health system. The diversity, equity, and inclusion competencies across the learning continuum, which the AAMC released in July this month. Uh, the AAMC has some control over medical school accreditation and also administers the MCAT, the medical school admissions exam. Quote, many questions cross a clear line from asking applicants to describe their background and life experiences to demanding their explicit support and enthusiasm for a worldview and an agenda that is fundamentally political in nature. The Do No Harm group said, these demands for endorsement of specific political ideas in order to be considered for admission, may constitute or be close to constituting compelled speech, which means what? Violates the Equal Protection Clause, 14th Amendment. Quote, top medical schools have woven their commitment to woke politics into their application process, asking future doctors to prove their commitment to divisive ideologies, or risk being rejected from medical school. Oh, Yes. I remember one of our kids applying to medical school and came up against this, believe it or not. And it's happening in medical schools, too, not just the applications, once you get in. And it's happening when you, when you become a resident. It's happening, period. It's everywhere. Sexualizing third graders. Brainwashing. Medical students, soon to be doctors, brainwashing young people going into the military, as I discussed with you last night. My friend came up to me and told me what was taking place with his son. This is a poison, and it's everywhere, and it's going to destroy the country. Perfect example from the Daily Signal. Sarah Parshall Perry, in a shocking and first-of-its-kind reading, of a more than 30-year-old disability law, that's the Americans with Disabilities Act, a federal judge ruled that the distress that results from a person feeling that he or she is the wrong sex is a disability that must be accommodated under the Americans with Disabilities Act. If the opinion is left to stand, it would open the door for those who consider themselves transgender and feel clinically distressed to receive public accommodations in bathrooms, locker rooms, prisons, same-sex housing, and more. 
U.S. District Judge Diana Gribben-Motz at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals wrote the majority opinion for the divided three-panel judge, judge panel in Williams versus Kincaid, holding that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, gender dysphoria is a disability. Judge Pamela Harris joined Motz's opinion to form the majority. The Americans with Disabilities Act is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against individuals with disabilities in all areas of public life, employment, education, transportation, and in places that are open to the general public, public accommodations. So what's the practical impact of this decision? It means that those with gender dysphoria, a, quote, incongruence between someone's gender identity and assigned sex. I love this, assigned sex. Assigned by whom? God. That results in, quote, clinically significant distress, as the American Psychiatric Association defines it. Not only protected from discrimination because of that so-called disability, but they're entitled to reasonable accommodations. In the case of former Fairfax County, Virginia prisoner Keisha Williams, that reasonable accommodation, as they call it, should have, according to the court, included sending Williams, a biological male, back into the woman's prison. Williams has filed a disability discrimination claim against various prison employees alleging mistreatment while incarcerated. But in order to reach this conclusion, the majority had to clear one very big hurdle, the language of the law, which explicitly excludes A, ready? Homosexuality and bisexuality for the purposes of the definition of disability. Certain conditions under this chapter, the term disability shall not include transvestism, transsexualism, pedophilia, on and on, all the isms. Because the statute clearly eliminates disability protections for gender identity disorder, Judge Motz engaged in a contorted legal analysis to determine that general dysphoria was not actually a gender identity disorder. And to reach that conclusion, she didn't look to the statute's language at the time of its enactment. But the much more recent change on gender-related psychiatric diagnoses, one not envisioned, anticipated, or incorporated by the law's original drafters in 1990. Yep, I don't think Bob Dole was thinking of this. Motz relied heavily on a change made by the American Psychiatric Organization in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition. And I'm not going to read it to you, but you can see it was just any effort in any way to get around the statute to promote this agenda. But the question is, yes, has the judge secreted any government documents? What are you talking about, Mark? That's the big issue. What big issue? Does the judge have government documents at her home? Why do I care? Does she or doesn't she? Well, she's destroying the Americans with Disability Act. She's completely shredded the statute. No, no, no. Does she have documents in her home? And they're destroying our entire country with the open border, violating the immigrant. Nah, no. Does she have documents at her home? I don't know. Well, that's what we have to get to the bottom of. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there's a constant insurrection going on here with the left. 
if we accept what's really the truth about what's taking place here. Right, Bill? The insurrection is constant. Judges dressed up in robes, politicians with ties on and dresses on, some with both, you never know. Changing the country without the consent of the governed, bypassing constitutional limits. But does Trump have papers at home? Come on, open and shut. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. By the way, I've been remiss here. Um, We have a great Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern on this Labor Day weekend. It's a special of some of our greatest uh, clips from the program and so forth. I know you're going to love it. So take a peek. We have one of my favorite senators with us right now, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. He's, He's in a very, very difficult election. They're pouring all kinds of dark money into this race smearing him with tens of millions of dollars. Ron Johnson, how are you, sir? Great, Mark, and even greater because I was able to listen to your program earlier. I, I heard your your discussion at the end of your first hour, and I heard your wonderful uh, description and reading of the uh, Lincoln's Second Inaugural Address and your father's uh, preface to it. Uh, it's it's inspiring. Don't, don't you wish we had giants like that yeah. uh, serving in Washington today? I mean, that's what we need. We, we need some giants Well, first of all, thank you. And secondly, you're exactly right. And you've been doing tremendous work as a United States senator, which is why you're like one of their number one targets that they want to take out. So, Senator, before we get into some of these things, tell us the situation on the ground in Wisconsin, the kind of money that's being spent to smear you and defeat you. Well, it's a tough race. You know, Wisconsin always is. They spent well over $50 million lying distorting, uh, character assassination, the politics of personal destruction, because, Mark, that's how they have. They, they can't tell the truth about me. They can't tell the truth about uh, how disastrous their transformation of America is. That's been a disaster. It's destroying this country. So they can't talk about their record. Uh, all they have are lies and distortions. The, the, the beauty is all I have to do is tell the truth about what I've done, about my record, which I'm proud of, and who my opponent is. He's the most radical leftist. Uh, you know, we cleared the field for him. We had, we had this kid in here that spent $12 million of his own money, and then mysteriously, two weeks before the primary, he just stepped aside, and everybody else did too. So the, the Washington elite selected the most radical leftist, Mandela Barnes, who said the founding of America was awful. He said our national parks are racist. You know, he's, he's funded by and supported by the people that lead the defund the police movement. But he says, oh, he's not for defunding police. He, he's saying they're holding a T-shirt that he requested that says abolish ICE. But he says, oh, I, I, I'm not for abolishing ICE. And, of course, the lapdog media, media just takes it up and, and mm-hmm. would, you know, issues a politifact verdict that saying that he wants to abolish ICE is false. So not only do I have more than $50 million spent against me, I have a media that is hostile, and they've been trying to take me out for at least two years. And, of course, their their uh, support of Mandela Barnes is priceless to them. Mm-hmm. It's like tens of millions of dollars. How does it look there right now? Are you able to tell? 
It's a dead even race, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you know, my first few races were. This one is. Uh, I, I do tell people, don't worry about the public opinion polls. The Marquette poll the same time last cycle. I, was, I think I was down 11. They had me down 7. This is a dead even race. In, in the end, in 2016, I won by 3.4%. So there's only one poll accounts. You know that. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say there's a great deal of support in the ground, but Again, when you have the media against you, you know, that kind of spending. And my website, by the way, is ronjohnsonsenate.com. I'm going to need money to counter all the lies, all the character assassination. But, again, we have the truth on our side. I have to hope, I've got to pray, the truth can prevail and the truth has its own power. Clearly, the Biden family wants to take you out. The FBI wants to take you out. The media want to take you out. Because you keep pursuing the truth, you keep trying to get information about what's been taking place in this country. What is your take on what the FBI has been doing, Senator? It's just corruption at the top of the FBI, and we've been seeing that for, as you said in you know earlier segment, we've been witnessing this for the last six years. Uh, you know, I, I got involved, and I started having my eyes opened up uh, when we started investigating Hillary Clinton's email scandal. Then, you know, it was my staff, we uncovered the editing of the James Comey exoneration email where they changed, you know, grossly negligent to extremely careless because that's not a criminal turn. They, they completely, you know, removed the fact that she had sent classified material from the territory of a, an adversary. They couldn't talk about that. So they exonerated her. And then that same cast of characters that edited that email transferred over to Crossfire Hurricane. And, of course, we found out, again, my staff doing great work in the FISA report, we have footnotes that contradict the body of the report that said the FBI had no idea that the Steele dossier contained Russian disinformation, but they classified those footnotes. So my staff found that. It took us months to get them declassified so the American public got the truth, but the FBI knew the Steele dossier contained Russian disinformation was tainted by in October of 2016, Mark, also in January of 2017, and yet they allowed the Mueller probe to continue uh, under under. Christopher Ray, the FBI briefed the Senate Intel Committee and said that the Steele dossier had integrity in March of 2018. So I've seen the corruption. Now, now we have whistleblowers coming forward. You know, Chuck Grassley to his office saying that the FBI had a scheme in August of 2020 to downplay the derogatory information to basically deep six the investigation. That's the same on August 6th in, in, in which both Chuck Grassley and I received unsolicited briefings, completely unnecessary, total BS. I knew it was a setup, but they're basically saying we were targets of Russian disinformation. At the same time, they're briefing Facebook, but I knew it was a setup, and they leaked it in May of 2021 to smear me. And so not only did the FBI, did their actions impact the 2020 election to a far greater extent than Russia ever could have, they're impacting the, the U.S. Senate race here in Wisconsin because there are people in Wisconsin, Mark, that think I'm some kind of Russian tool. Of course, it's completely false, but because the FBI leaked that briefing, I've been smeared. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable what's taking place in this country. And don't you find it disheartening? I'm just not trying to pull you into my world. When you have a former Attorney General Bill Barr out there just slamming away at Trump and Of course, the FBI did what it did because they were tired of being screwed around with. I mean, we have a history here of the FBI. And by the way, the history goes back decades and decades. And and if it's ever going to be reformed or or remade or or replaced, 
you got to acknowledge it's a huge problem, right? Yeah, listen, it is disheartening. People that I've always respected, when they just, I guess they just don't see that the other side is, other side is literally destroying this country. I mean, you know, we've got my Senate colleagues, you know, a minority of them that are joining with all 50 of those Democrat senators, that, again, on the side that are destroying this country. And they do the little deals and they further mortgage our, our children's future. It drives me nuts. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I hate the division marks. We all. All right, listen, Senator, I want to hold you, if you don't mind, over uh, sure. so we can discuss more of this and other issues and get your uh, the uh, website out again so the American people can support you. We'll be right back with the great Senator Ron Johnson. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. We're back with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He's in the battle of his political life for re-election. They've already spent $50 million smearing him in Wisconsin. And you can go to ronjohnsonforsenate.com, and that's on all our platforms now, ronjohnsonforsenate.com. By the way, where the hell are they getting all this money from, Senator? I mean, what is it, their billionaires are willing to spend more than ours? Is that it? It's all the dark money that they hate until they use it to smear somebody somebody else. But, uh, you know, Mark, I was, at the end of the break, I was talking about how I just hate the division. And mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, and what was so galling about President Biden's speech is, we're not the ones dividing this nation. The left is. They are mm-hmm. relentless at dividing this nation. And You know, I quote your book all the time, American Marxism. America must awaken to the urgency of the moment. And that's what we have to do. And I'll tell you what, one thing that gives me hope is you know, I, I'm connected to this global group of doctors that are you know, fighting the government misinformation on COVID. But recently somebody sent a, a Margaret Mead quote around and said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, is the only thing that ever has. So I guess that's what kind of keeps me going. You know, mm-hmm. people like you, other patriots like the ones in your audience, you know, we we need to unify and heal this nation. This this nation needs healing, but the Democrats will not do it. They divide us. It's got to be up to us. And you're a very thoughtful man. You're a very deep thinker. You look at history. I know that. You look at economics. You're a successful businessman. And there you are trying to save the country uh, in the state of Wisconsin, and you're right. 
You're up against an extreme radical who's trying to remake himself. This is what they always do, because they have to lie in order to get to where they're going. Now, let's ask about this. In terms of the election, um, has Wisconsin put his house back in order in terms of the election processes there? Well, unfortunately, the state legislature passed laws to tighten up the controls, but Governor Evers vetoed everything, including banning Zuckerbucks, which to this day bothers my mind that, uh, you know, that could be legal. But, you know, we've got a pretty hefty election integrity team. We've had, you know, three investigations kind of showing all the guidances that the Wisconsin Election Commission issued that were contrary to state law, the election procedures that election clerks uh, used during the last election contrary to state law. So we're going to do everything we can to prevent fraud on the front side. We're watching them. They know we're watching them. So hopefully uh, that can help us. But we just need to overwhelm them. Uh, I need people to help me get votes in Wisconsin. I need every patriot out there to talk to their friends, their family, and neighbors. And again, awaken to the urgency of the moment and just overwhelm them with votes. And uh, early voting in Wisconsin, right? We have some. It's not as dramatic as, as other states. It uh, starts late in October. Um, mm-hmm. We do have voter ID. And as long as they follow the state law and don't uh, exploit the indefinitely confined, people do have to have voter ID. We're certainly watching new registrations to make sure those things are legal. So, again, we're, we're doing everything we can to watch it. But we really, really need to elect Tim Michaels an excellent gubernatorial candidate, take out Tony Evers, need to make sure we save this U.S. Senate seat, and then we'll be able to, we will be able to put Wisconsin's electoral house in order. Has the Republican Party and all the Republican factions in Wisconsin, are they all united behind you? Yeah, we really are. I mean, that's one thing. I, I still view myself more as Tea Party than anything, Mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, me too. Probably because you know, I obviously joined the Republican Party here, and there's really not any difference. I don't have a libertarian candidate, so we are absolutely united because we realize it's the Democrat Party, it's the radical left that is destroying this country, and it's people coming up to me over the last year with tears in their eyes uh, streaming down their cheeks saying, we have to save this nation. So, no, we, we are strongly united. But you know, we're about half the population here, and you've got leftists on the other half, and that's why Wisconsin's so close. And this is true for the rest of the country, too. You know, we can't we can't battle over small differences right now when the other side is trying to uh, change the country for good and make it impossible for us to ever be in the majority again. Isn't that your view at this point? Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to align myself with somebody who agrees with me 80 percent of the time. Yeah, I'm not going to be a purist in this. We, we need to recognize what the left is doing to this country. And quite honestly, we need to recognize, don't, don't discount anybody. 75 to 80% of the American public think we're on the wrong track. So I'm telling people, if, if you're talking to somebody, they love this country, they're concerned about its future, ask them to join us. You know, don't, don't discount anybody. I, I've got to believe there have got to be Democrats, there have got to be independents whose jaws are just dropping and what's happening in this country, too. So I, I discount the polls. There's only one poll that counts, and I'm just working my tail off, and a lot of people are, too, are trying to save this U.S. Senate seat and trying to save this country. Do you find, uh, <clears throat> talk about the taxpayers, do you find that the parents are really uh, activated at this point, too, with what's going on with the teachers' unions and their schools? Absolutely, and that's on a bipartisan basis. You know, one thing that Donald Trump did is he, he did – 
assemble a new coalition of people that have one primary attribute in common. They love this country. They fervently love it. What COVID did is it, it, it expanded that coalition because now you've got Democrats that were looking over their kids' shoulders and, and saying, what are they teaching my children? What are they indoctrinating into my, my you know, we, we all thought that uh, we'd embrace Martin Luther King's you know, goal of, you know, judging people based on the content of their character and the color of the skin. And all of a sudden parents are finding out you're teaching my children critical race theory, you know, mm-hmm. the, the sexualization of our children. Um, no, they are, people are shocked because of COVID. So, you know, I'm holding uh, round tables with parents and I'd say 20 to 30 percent of the parents are Democrats or were Democrats. Mm-hmm. Well, we're heard all over Wisconsin. We're heard on every major city in Wisconsin. We're heard in small towns in Wisconsin. And I just want to say to the people of Wisconsin, you're very, very lucky to have a senator like this. You really, really are. You're going to have to fight like hell to keep him. Not only a lot of inside left-wingers trying to defeat him in Wisconsin, but there's a ton of outsiders from the West Coast and the East Coast who want to take him out, who are trying to defend uh, Biden and his policies by taking him out. So this is an important race for Wisconsin and the nation and all you Levinites out there. If you can help, Ron Johnson, remember we had a caller last night and said, I got a hundred bucks. Give me six names. And one of them was Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson for Senate.com, Ron Johnson for Senate.com. Anything else, Senator, before we go? Just to say that America is so grateful to you and, and, you know, because you have such a thoughtful voice, you know, God bless you for what you do for this country. My goodness, you're very, very kind, and I want to thank you for everything you're doing, and we're all behind you. You take care of yourself. God bless you. Take care. God bless you. This is a good man. He came to Washington, and Washington didn't devour him, folks. And he's on their target list. He may be one of the top. So if you can spare a few bucks, it's Ron Johnson for Senate.com. They've already spent $50 million. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Do you hear that, Mr. Producer? It's a UFO. The UFOs are coming. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Wait. All right, I want to do this before we have to go. This is from Blaze Media, blaze.com, which is a great site. Democratic Senate candidate is two convicted murderers on his campaign staff. Now, you thought you heard of everything? Well, you haven't. This is from Courtney Wheel at the Blaze. A Democratic candidate for United States Senate. By the way, can you guess which one I did? Currently employs two convicted murderers on his campaign staff, according to government documents. John Fetterman, the current lieutenant governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, and the Democrat vying for the Senate seat held by Pat Toomey, has on his campaign payroll Dennis and Lee Horton, two brothers convicted of murdering Samuel Alamo nearly 30 years ago. You listening to this? In May 1993, the Horton brothers and a co-conspirator Robert Leaf committed armed robbery robbery at Felito's Bar in Philadelphia. During the execution of the robbery, three people were shot, 
Alamo, Luz Arkello, and her daughter, Luz Martinez. After the Hortons and Leaf left the bar, a witness was able to give police a description of their getaway vehicle and a partial plate. The police located the three men and the vehicle about a mile from the bar. Two guns were retrieved from the car, one of which was determined by forensic to be the rifle used in the shooting. Mr. Alamo died from his injuries, but both Arkello and Martinez survived and identified the three men as the robbers who had shot them. A third witness who was not injured in the robbery identified them as well. The Hortons were convicted of second-degree murder, three counts of robbery, four counts of aggravated assault, conspiracy and possession of an instrument of a crime, and sentenced to life in prison. They served 27 years until December 2020, when the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons, led by John Fetterman, voted unanimously to free them. According to the Philadelphia Inquirer, Fetterman had campaigned the board aggressively on behalf of the Hortons in particular, threatening to oppose current Democratic candidate for Governor Josh Shapiro, who's the Attorney General, in the primary if he refused to vote to release them. In February 2020, the radical left-wing governor, Tom Wolf gave the Hortons and 11 other convicted murderers clemency and commuted their sentences to time served. What do you think of that, Pennsylvania? Clemency reduces the sentence of convicted criminals, but does not exonerate them. Dennis and Lee Horton, who have always maintained their innocence, of course, now work for Fetterman's campaign for the U.S. Senate. For the U.S. Senate, it's unclear when they joined the team. And Fetterman's Republican opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz, who I strongly endorse, has called for Fetterman to dismiss the Hortons from his staff because of their violent history. He said John Fetterman consistently puts murderers and other criminals ahead of Pennsylvania communities. John Fetterman's even trying to hide his record from voters by running TV ads saying he's tough on crime. His positions, including releasing one-third of inmates onto our streets, says otherwise, as does the fact that he actually hired two convicted murderers on his campaign. Pennsylvania. My Pennsylvania, where I was born, where I grew up. If you're still the same Pennsylvania, with law-abiding, tax-paying, honorable, patriotic Americans, don't vote for this jackass with his two convicted murderers on his staff, for God's sakes. Rally around Oz. Defeat Fetterman. It's that simple. Here we go. Just for you, America. Here we go.
folks, have a wonderful, wonderful Labor Day weekend. Drive very, very safely. Take care of yourselves. We don't want to lose any of you great patriots. Don't forget Life, Liberty, and Levin, Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you don't think you're going to be able to watch it live, now's the time to set your recorder for DVR, okay? 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our truckers, and the men and women in Ukraine and Taiwan. We have not forgotten you. Good night, Spritey. Good night, Griffey. Good night, Pepsi. Good night, Smokey. Good night, Zelda. Good night, Gigi. Good night, Indy. And good night, little Barney. Have a wonderful weekend, folks. We'll be back next week with you. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. Good night, Leo. And good night, Joe. God bless you, and good night, America.